Southwest Fire Academy was established in 2015 as a response to the recognized need for quality, safe, and affordable fire and rescue training in Ontario. This is not your average fire college. SFA has high standards for their students, and it is their mission to teach and produce qualified, ambitious firefighters who are prepared to work hard to serve their communities. This is not a diploma mill. This is where you can learn strategic, aggressive firefighting from passionate, intelligent instructors who never forget why they were made to do this job. SFA is an accredited private career college that is regulated by the Ministry of Training, Colleges and Universities with a Memorandum of Understanding with the Office of the Fire Marshal. This means that SFA is an approved training provider with the OFM and the programs are recognized in Ontario. Check out the pre-service and expanding selection of course offerings at southwestfireacademy.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 78 of Multiple Calls. I'm Scott Hewlett. There are approximately 4 million registered podcasts, and most firefighters will name sitting around the kitchen table as one of their favorite things about the fire service. Yet we are somehow still trying to master the art of conversation around the firehouse. Just like firefighting skills, the skill of having conversation is situation-dependent and perishable. And because it involves humans, it's always going to be imperfect. With fatigue, emotions, confirmation bias, ego, laziness, assumptions, and personality traits clogging up our filters, it's amazing that tables aren't pointed across and flipped more often. But the solution to avoiding the pitfalls isn't to stop talking. It's actually to talk and listen more. So keep trying to find an approach somewhere between walking on eggshells and being a bull in a china shop. And stay open to the idea that we're going to find our way through having conversations. Here's a pretty damned good one with Stephanie White. You've done a number of podcasts already. You have your own podcast, which I'm going to link to in the show notes for everybody. Everyone should check it out. What you've done up till now, you've really covered your backstory very well, beautifully. So instead of covering that same old ground again, you and I talked about just jumping into a couple topics to kick us off and see where we go. And what you offered up to talk about first was how we've perhaps lost the ability to have open and vulnerable or honest conversations, difficult conversations around the firehouse, because we've got to a place where we're afraid of what we're going to say might offend people and how that might be then pulling us apart and maybe damaging or inhibiting our culture. Why don't we start there? I think I started to notice this probably about a decade ago where people really just stopped having conversations with each other when they were offended. And there are always going to be a myriad of reasons. There's going to be fear of being ostracized by a crew, fear of maybe somebody has a, just that kind of more people-pleasing personality. They don't want to be the bad guy. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Not knowing how to if you're a younger person or knowing that you're a, a maybe a more abrasive personality who doesn't know how to put things into words constructively. Whatever it is, People have wandered away from the art of sitting around the kitchen table and being a little brutal with each other and saying, hey, that was really offensive. Like, don't make that joke in front of me again. Like, you can say it when I leave the room, 
but that hits home for whatever reason or, hey, I just don't think that was an appropriate thing to say. We have lost the ability to do that simple human skill. And it's it's something we oddly enough, I think, can practice outside of the firehouse. But once people sit down at a kitchen table, it's something I've seen go really to a wayside. And I think part of it, I mean, a huge part of it is cultural, right? I had a captain probably back in 07, 07, 08, who told me, listen, you guys can go out on the back ramp and you can figure it out. And if you can't figure it out amongst yourselves, you're going to get locked in that that office right there with me and the three of us are going to figure it out, but it stays in this firehouse and we figure it out because we're a family. And that was the expectation that was put on us was you live together for 24 hours, you run calls together for 24 hours, you're going to figure this out like it's your darn sibling for 24 hours. And it gave us the freedom to know we can say whatever we want to each other. There's a there's a mediator at the end of the hall in the end if we need it, but we're allowed to say what we need to say to be able to get to our point and to find either that common ground or that uncommon ground, but there's still respect there. And I think that freedom has also not been taught to officers as of late. I think that's half the battle right there. How much have you seen, though, that people would use the the quote-unquote the culture of the fire service or the job itself and how difficult it is and how they think it should be different than the culture outside the fire service and our society in general as a bit of an excuse to act completely differently and maybe disrespectfully to people because now I've walked into these four walls and this is where I can be almost for my own entertainment or my own comfort i can push boundaries this is where i do this and you and everyone just should just accept it and if you can't you need to get out where's this line between us being a family and caring for and loving each other in all the, the ways that that happens and using it as an excuse to be a dick i have four brothers and i would never walk into my mother's house and say to my family to my actual brothers some of the things that people I can walk into a firehouse and say, and that's always a good litmus test, right? I say a lot of things to my brothers, but what would I say some of the things? And you have to sit down and you have to think, am I saying this, personal accountability, am I saying this for shock value? Or am I saying this to get a rise out of people? Am I saying it to be rude? If you're doing those things, well, you're kind of a jerk and you need to consider that and you need to police yourself. We're adults. Don't think that just because you're in a firehouse with different rules and you get to get to drive really fast and you get to break things, it means you cannot function as an adult when it comes to adult conversation. Act accordingly. On the flip side of that, we are seeing more people coming in who can't take a joke uh, and they do have a lower humor line and they need to realize dark humor is how we handle things as a fire service. So there's a balance between the two. There's a conversation that has become missing of when somebody comes down and they sit at the kitchen table in my firehouse for the first time, I mean, I'm peppering them with questions all day long. Hey, where'd you grow up? Got any family? Got any siblings? What made you join the fire service? When you do that, when you learn your people, when they come through the door, even if they're just a detail for the day, I'm not as obnoxious if they're just a detail, but 
learning the people who are serving on your crew for the day is also going to help you know what jokes are appropriate or not. If you're worried about the, I know I'm not a jerk, but maybe I'll say something that might offend somebody. If you're thinking that and you learn their background, okay, so this person is super, super religious, maybe no no priest jokes today. That'll keep you out of trouble just asking, hey, who are you and why are you here and what do you need to accomplish today? It's the art of a conversation. So this is really about both sides learning how to have a proper dialogue. So the old school, quote unquote, can't use all the cliches to just, this is the way it is and you're going to be the one that adapts and I don't have to change. New people coming in can't necessarily dictate either. So it comes down to, yeah, both people or the crew as as a whole, new and old. Dialoguing, like you said, as adults, knowing the line and is intent the main piece here? Intent is the main piece, I think. So the truth is always in the middle, right? We can be extreme jerks over here. We can be way too sensitive over here. You got to bring it to the middle. We have to be able to make jokes. There's no way we're going to survive for 24 hours without laughing. And we're going to see some sick stuff on calls. And you have to be able to, obviously, within certain boundaries, joke about that. And then I think the missing equation is, okay, what happens when those two worlds collide? What happens when firefighter A is being just an extreme chauvinistic or making political jokes jerk and firefighter B is just being oversensitive? Well, then where does the rest of the crew fit in with that? You will see a kitchen table empty so quickly when you see two people start to have a heated conversation instead of people sitting around and thinking, okay, this is my lifeline for the rest of the day. These two people about to take each other's heads off. Where do I fit into this equation of being an adult and saying, time out, stop, listen, we're all here today. So we're all going to figure this out. We often leave those two people to duke it out and then stuff goes wrong on calls because those two people now aren't talking versus firefighter C saying, you can either get along and you can figure it out. You can have a conversation to be mature or you can just stop right now, not talk to each other, but realize that you have a job to do today. Maybe you'll never see each other again if you're just a detail here or if you're both assigned here, we'll figure it out next day. But we've lost that ability to say, This is not acceptable to not be adults because the job we do will suffer. It's so amazing how many times I've I've seen that not happen in a firehouse. And for some reason in everyone's mind, it's acceptable for everybody to just go on a call and two people to not talk. That's that's unacceptable. We're in the business of somebody's worst day or saving a life. We can't have a quarter of the crew shut down in the corner not being the best teammates they can be. And where does this fit in for being able to talk about things professionally without taking things personally? So talking about the job specifically, so constructive criticism specifically about the job. And I find personally, (laughs) I've noticed both sides of the spectrum we've just discussed have a hard time doing that. If you want to use a stereotypical, again, the old school, I did a reel recently about you don't get to say if you can't take a joke, then you don't deserve to be in the fire service, but then turn around and talk out of the other side of your mouth and say, I shouldn't be criticized about my fitness or my performance, right? You get a free pass 
to dictate how other people should be able to take it, but you can't take it yourself, even when it comes to talking about things like performance on the job. And then the other side of the coin would be, or the other end of the spectrum would be people taking professional criticism as harassment or bullying. There's your two extremes again, and then being able to talk about things professionally without taking personally. What are your thoughts on that? I think one of the hardest things about getting older in my career has been how much tongue biting I have had to do recently because I've gone to criticize or correct something and I've really had to pull myself back and say, what was wrong with what they did? Why was it wrong? Okay, it's not just how you would do it, but it's fine what they did. It's just not how you were trained, how you would do it. I'm finding myself fighting that more and more and more as I get older and grumpier per se. And I think that is definitely one end of the extreme of, hey, listen, I'm going to yell at you because this isn't how I was taught. We can't be doing that because we have a whole different generation who grew up with a whole different set of skills, whole different way of doing things. And by the way, if we don't do things a different way or try things a different way, we're never going to discover new things. So why are we putting forth that constructive criticism or not constructive criticism in the first place? What's the why behind it? And you cannot just yell to yell. So I have kids and there's a certain set of discipline for anything that is a safety hazard for them versus just bad behavior. The safety hazard discipline is kind of the highest level because this is a lesson I need you to never forget. I need you to not get hurt. And it's the same thing when we're doing constructive criticism with people. Safety, anything, anything that's going to get us killed, I might have to raise my tone. You might not like how I'm going to say it because I want this to be permanently embedded in your mind, but I need to do so constructively. Over here, firefighter B, you are in a business that can absolutely kill you. You do not get to be offended when I say, hey, the way you did that can get us all hurt. I, I will say that if you can't take that criticism, then this probably isn't the job performance for you because I need you to learn how to grow and how to adapt and how to not get us all killed because you can't relearn something. It's so cliche, but everything really is bring it in midline. You have to readjust your way of thinking and learn if you did something wrong. This is not the job for those unwilling to learn and to feel that any kind of criticism is a personal attack. It's not a personal attack. It's personal growth. Figure it out. Be an adult, but you cannot be offended by it. That is a rule that will never change because we will always be in the business where we could possibly die or the patient or the victim could possibly die. The longer we're on, is it a risk that we can also forget how long it took us to learn certain things and how we weren't hitting the ground running and being perfect? And we also tend to ignore the mistakes that we'll make daily, weekly, and maybe swipe them under our mental rug a little bit so that we don't have to put the mirror on ourselves. If we're able to be honest about that, that that might also meter the level or the amount of criticism that we'd be handing down to people that we're trying to bring up in the service. I have to sit back weekly and remember what god-awful probie 
I was because the way I'm viewing mistakes when I see them happen and it's somehow we forget we made all those mistakes and you're right it's a trap we all fall into and I think we would criticize way less if we sat down and had a realistic talk with ourselves of well you were you were pretty horrible when you came in and you had to learn all these lessons and then you got to your middle your middle career where you were learning things and doing really well and then sometimes we creep into our older career and we know everything and we think we know everything and we stop growing and we feel free to criticize those who were where we were once upon a time so it's always going to be this constant where was i how long did it take me to get where i am by the way am i still going somewhere or am i sitting still and if you have that conversation with yourself I promise you'll do a lot less criticizing. And you also mentioned having kids. Is that sometimes a trap we can fall into where we perceive rookies as children? Even though they're young in the fire service because they just started, they're not children, right? So again, okay, let's talk about these these two ends of the spectrum. So we're the adults, they're the children. That's one end of the spectrum, right? And the other end of the spectrum would be people coming in and not owning that they're adults and having maybe the excuse of maybe they put themselves in that role of being the child. Again, we're all professionals. We're all adults at this stage. You're getting on to this job at the earliest in your early 20s, maybe still in some places 18, 19, but you're creeping into adulthood at that moment. So how does that trip us up to this whole adult child layer that can be put on it when that's actually not the dynamic? (laughs) So we hire at 18, 19, so our last two rookies have come in at 1819 and it has been an absolute trap that I have fallen into of you're you're just a kid you're a child I it's been a struggle to look at these perfectly capable adults on calls and think I'm not going to trust you with that when in reality that's the age I came in just because I'm older now doesn't mean that I was any less capable at that age. I think it's very easy to look at age and be dismissive the older we get. But at the end of the day, that's not right. And that's not fair. We all came in at a certain age and some of us, like myself, came in younger. And you're still developing your adult skills and your social skills How much cooler would it be if instead of criticizing me and treating me like a kid, you recognize that I'm still socially developing and you guide me and you mentor me? Where would I end up as a firefighter if you chose to mentor me instead of criticize me? I guarantee I'm going to get way stronger, way faster. And the end product in 20 years, you want me to end up like you? Well, I just might end up like you if you mentor me instead of crap on me. And that's something that we constantly fail to do is we want people to be like us. Well, then train them like you. Be kind to them so they they turn out like you. Guide them like you. Is it important to differentiate between things that you should realize people should pick up quickly within the first few times you've shown them, drilled on it with them, and the things that are going to take, even though they've been through pre-service training, 
an academy. They've been through the recruit academy. They're not going to hit the ground running with 30 years of experience under their belt. Do you feel there are things that should be picked up quicker? And when they're not, that perhaps this isn't the job for them? Because I think that would be fair in probably any industry. And there are things we need to recognize that it took us a long time to drill on to finally have it click. I think that's such a hot button question because we have once upon a time, it was okay generationally to say, hey, listen, you don't belong in this job. And I think we abused that. I think we said it to people that we simply didn't like instead of just saying it to people who couldn't do the job. So the ability to say that got taken away from us and it became considered a tool of harassment. And that is such a shame because there are so many people out there who we should still be able to respectfully say it to. Because if you sit down and you train somebody and they run that call and then they run that call again and again and it's not clicking and maybe somebody else sits down and trains with them a couple times and it's still not clicking and it is happening in every category, this isn't necessarily the job for you. And we have to get back to finding a way to say that because there are absolutely going to be people who apply and who want to do this and they think that maybe their level is acceptable because that's how things were in the civilian world. But once again, we're different. We are different from the civilian world with the job we do to how we talk to people to how we talk to each other. And that should be okay to say. We're in this weird phase of life as a fire service where we're seeing more and more people just decide one day, hey, I want to try to be a firefighter. And so they apply, they get on the job, maybe they were a former athlete, whatever, but they just want to see what it's like. And so they stay for two or three years and then they up and leave. Well, during those two or three years when they're deciding if this is something they even want to do with their life, they're causing chaos because this isn't something they want to do with their life. They just, this was the flavor of the day they wanted to try. How do we as a fire service get back to being able to sit them down and say, hey, let's talk about your training. Let's talk about why you're here. And let's talk about if maybe this is the best fit for your life because you're on a pathway to get somebody hurt. You have to be able to have that conversation. That can never be taken away from us as a fire service. And we need to figure out how to have the ability to say it again. Is it also unfair to put all the weight of that message on the people that are currently in the job and let's just make it clear so you're 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 passing on that message properly with respect with support with proper mentoring not the you suck you don't belong here the harassment end of things let's just call it the way it should be given but if, if all things being equal and we're all talking about being professionals and adults isn't there also some ownership on the person themselves how are they not having the realization how are they not taking ownership and accountability for realizing that this may be something you really want but it's not for you right and just because you want something doesn't mean you get to have it so that's a hard pill to swallow to really really want to be something or to do something and then to get into it and realize that the drive is there the the motivation's there but i think i've said before like i i may want to be a fighter pilot or a surgeon but if i'm not meant to do that if i'm not good at it it doesn't matter what i want it's like can i do the job or can i not am i capable am i competent so isn't there also an equal ownership on the people themselves to have this understanding that 
I get that you have this and it's, this may be your dream job, but you should also accept what reality is and maybe there's something else you can do. And this doesn't make them a bad person. They could be lovely people, but it's just not the job. Again, if I went into a job that was not for me and I just, did, I just couldn't grasp it, it doesn't make me a bad person. It just means that job's not for me. Why is it then that it's always this weight is put on, this ownership is put on the one side of like, well, the message, it's all on us to have the realization and pass on the message. And it's not on the other person's side as well. I'm always looking for this equal responsibility and ownership and accountability. No, I get it. The weight is on me to know if I'm not doing this job well and this isn't the job for me. But when you have to have the conversation with that person is because they clearly are a little blind to the fact that this isn't the job for them. I wish we all walked into every situation in life with a complete self-awareness, but we don't. And we, especially with this job, you have to be a self-aware person, but you're going to run into people who aren't. So that is where that conversation comes in. The onus is always on me to be self-aware, but what if I'm not? What if I'm a person who just isn't self-aware? And that's why I'm not learning things through constant drills and constant, because I can't even see my own weakness or my own fault. Do you find that people that aren't self-aware or with a department that if the department struggles with having to pass the message on properly, that then people just tend to get moved around? Have you seen that in your comings and goings and different departments interactions? That's all across the world, not just here. <laughs> well, there, there's always the piece of we have to understand if it's people dynamics, right? So maybe you just have oil and water and there's always that piece about trying to build crews that click. And having a crew that really clicks, I think you and I could agree that it, it makes the good job great. That's what makes the good job great. The job is good no matter where you go and who you're doing it with. But to make it great, if that whole crew clicks, that's when it's that's like a special thing. Perhaps we should be able to accept that we may land in crews or in seasons of our career where it's not that. And there are just people you work with, right? And you can have respect and for each other and appreciation of each other and do your job and go home when there's friction and people just aren't going to get along because you put enough people together in, in any industry, they're not going to get along. Sometimes you just need to move people around because you're just trying to find that shuffle where people can live and work together. It's not a functional capability performance thing. What I'm driving at here is that's different than a person that can't perform the job thing, getting shuffled around. That's not a people dynamics, friction, attitude, perspective. That's just a person that doesn't fit I think it's very often put on the crew when they get shipped out. Well, that crew just didn't accept them and just didn't understand them. And they're probably great. We should give them a clean slate. And But there are people that they get moved the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth time. And then all of a sudden crews are like realizing, oh, that first crew that had problems, it wasn't about the crew. It was about the person. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. We've all seen it. But something I've begun to notice lately because I did see this happen to somebody and I've never understood why that person has been moved a couple times recently because I know their capabilities. I get along with them very well. We have mutual respect for each other. So I thought it was odd. So in talking to their, their last officer, talking about why they were getting moved, well, I had a list of firefighters 
on my shift, one person needed to get moved and this person just didn't seem like they were ever going to want to promote up or do any kind of specialty school. So that's why they got, they got moved is because they didn't seem like they had any motivation other than to, to run calls and to be at the firehouse every day. And I thought, well, geez, isn't that what we're here for? I don't want to go to a specialty school or, or be promoted. You're telling me that that's your reason for moving them is, well, you want a firefighter who wants more than to ride the back step? That blew me away. And then the next line of questioning was, well, did you talk to them and did you, did you ask why? And the answer was no. It is always a case-by-case basis when somebody gets moved around because if you sit down and you you talk to some people, it will surprise you what people's perception of them is and why. And I actually think, I think a long time ago when people got moved around, it was they were a problem child and they simply could not get along or could not learn or were not doing well with the job. And it was always, well, we can't fire them, so we're just going to try again, control, delete, we're going to do a restart. Now, I think we are way more at the mercy of the new aura of the fire service is you don't necessarily need to talk to people. And and I hate that for people because it means you can get moved simply because somebody has a perception of you. And that's not fair. And that's something we, we can't allow. We've swung, we've swung the other way with why we're moving some people. And so unfortunately, the onus will always be on the new crew. Know your person when they come through the door sit down, have conversations, try to figure them out. If they're quiet, okay, be respectful of their space, but you, you still got to figure out who they are as a human being if you want to operate side by side with them. And that applies for that new person coming in. Do you run with the truck engine rescue? Is that the, the layout of your, your staffing of your trucks or are you sort of jack of all trades, so to speak, where you get bumped around, you could be on a truck, you could be on an engine, you're engine depending on which number you show up on the the scene is sort of dictated what your job is or you specific task specific role if your backs up on a truck you have a specific role or are you spread thin with having to master a number of things how what's your setup so if you're at a house that has a specialty piece like a truck or a squad you get trained to be on those you have to turn just like your medic intern you got to get turned over to be on one of those pieces and then when you show up on the scene, scene of a fire, scene of a car wreck or whatever, you do have a specific role. So any house around here that has a truck or a rescue is going to have an engine too. If I'm a nozzle firefighter on an engine, like I'm, there are probably, I think there's some departments where that's your job. Like you're the nozzle firefighter on the engine. You have that one role to master and there's a limited number of jobs and expectations of you. Or if you're the, if you're the backstep on a truck, there's specific jobs. And then you have an engineer. That's all they do. Whereas where I'm at, you move from, you have to be signed off, obviously, to drive and signed off to be on the area or on the truck. We call them aerials. But all our aerials have water on. They all have hoses on. They're all multi-use trucks. So do the rescues. So do the rescues. They're squads. Where I'm at, you're on the, we call them pumpers and aerials. I'm always skipping over my words because I'm trying to get the terminology proper so everyone understands we call our engines pumpers we call our trucks all, all that canadian terminology yeah we call our trucks aerials we call our rescue squads but they all have water on them they all have hose they all have some ladders point being you have to master a lot of things because you could be on the engine one day on hydrant and then you're on the aerial the next day and then you're on the squad the next day you have to master a lot of things to be functional 
Whereas if there's a setup where you are in the department and you are the backstep on the truck and that is your only role and you have a specific job at every fire you go to, that's what I'm trying to drive at is like, is that the way you're set up or are you bumped around and you have a lot of things to master to be a firefighter in your department? So you have a lot of things to master. Our engineers slash drivers and our officers, they are your functional staffing. They're always going to be in the front of that rig. Everybody else, you're going to move across the floor if you're at a house with specialty pieces after you get signed off. So it could be you spend one day or one week on the engine and then you move the next week to the truck, the next week to the squad, the next week to the medic unit. You're going to roll through the units. So you do. You have a lot to learn. What are your thoughts on that being something that may make it difficult for people to be quote unquote good at the job? If you had a setup where you start the job, you're the nozzle firefighter on an engine. That's your role. You have to master that role. And when you go to fires, you have a specific job. So your bandwidth of what you have to master is very, very limited. And you can become really good at it. And then if you want to move to another vehicle, like another apparatus, then you can train up on that and get signed off on that. And then you may be the backstop on the truck or then you, or you want to be an engineer. And if you're just an engineer and that's your only role, that's what you have to master. So what I'm getting at here is, are there people that aren't liked because they're not good at the job? Is the trouble that they're expected to master too many things and to expect especially when you get bigger and bigger in your department, to expect 500 people to be able to be good at all of those things, then you get people pegged with being quote unquote not good at the job. Where they may be, if they only had one role, if they're the nozzle firefighter on an engine, and that they may be amazing at that and putting their bandwidth into that, and then they would feel great at their job and everyone would love them and they'd be like, that guy or that girl, amazing firefighter. What are your thoughts on that? That goes back to self-awareness. So my house is an engine, ambulance, medic. The houses on either side of me, they both have trucks and one has truck and a squad. And then the other one has a tower, the one down the street. Let's say I'm at one of those houses and I discover that just being on the truck and on the engine is too much for me. Then it's up to me to say, hey, whether I have to come up with a creative story or I'm honest, that's on me to decide. I need to find a way to go to a different house where I can set myself up for success. That is on me to know. And then flip side, officer. Officers, watch out for your people, not just officers. Everybody, watch out for your people. If you notice that maybe this person has mastered the skills of an engine, but the truck just seems to be too much. They're not clicking. Also, hey, I know they just had a new baby or they're going through a divorce or maybe nothing's going on. It's just learning the truck and then keeping your engine skills is a little too much. That's okay. If I'm really excellent at soccer and I take up basketball too and I suck at basketball, that does not mean I am not still really great at soccer. If I'm really great at the engine and I suck on the truck, keep me on the engine. We shouldn't be judging anybody for that. If they are doing what it takes to be an excellent firefighter on that one piece, it's fine. Keep them on that one piece. And that's why anyone judges stuff like that will always kind of make me laugh because at their base, everyone needs to be an excellent firefighter. If I just don't have the bandwidth to build on that, but I have the bandwidth to always practice 
and the self-discipline to always practice that one thing, why why are you going to make fun of me or why are you going to pick on me? But that self-awareness does need to be there. And then a question I have is, are we beginning to see more and more people who maybe put the onus of training back on the people who are supposed to be training them? So are we beginning to see more people generationally who, if I failed at something coming up in the fire department, I was in that bay at midnight when nobody could see me practicing it a million times so that I never screwed up again in front of everybody. And has that skill been lost a little bit generationally or was that skill there in the first place because of the embarrassment factor? And have we taken away too much of that embarrassment factor and become maybe just a tad bit too kinder, gentler that now I'm kind of hearing you didn't train me to do that instead of I don't know that. The way the language is being said has changed. So which came first with that, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, from both sides, you have to realize if they were offered the training, if they were given the support, if they did have opportunity before you criticize. And on the other end of the spectrum, I guess you also need to speak up if you're having difficulties with things. It's also difficult for people that are new to know what they don't know. I think it's common with crews to say to brand new people, well, let us know whatever you want to train on, we'll do it. Right. And then and they just wash their hands of it and they expect the rookie to come to them and tell them. But if you don't know what you don't know, how are you supposed to ask for what you don't know? Right? Is that the mentoring piece where it's incumbent on the crew that's there to understand what the rookie should know? And they should be the ones coming to them and say, we're working on this today. And then we're working on this today. And once you've been through the things, then between you and them, they would be able to figure out where they want to spend more time. But until they know what the things are, I can't come to you and ask you for help with something that I don't know that I should know. Just like with conversations, knowing what the rules are for a conversation, which is rules for a conversation are why are you saying what it is you're saying? What's your intention behind it? Are you being cruel? Are you being kind? Are you saying this to somebody you know that if you say it and it lands the wrong way, they feel comfortable confronting you and having conversation? Those are kind of rules for an effective conversation. Same thing with training a probie. There need to be clear and concise. Here's here's your checklist. Here's what you need to know. And that way the onus is on them of, well, listen, this thing I can I can practice after I'm shown by myself over and over and over if I'm struggling with it. Everything in a firehouse, we are children. We're all adults, but we really are the children of the world. I don't mean that in a hippy-dippy way. I mean we act like children. And I think so many issues in the fire service could be resolved if we just had a, a checklist in front of us. All right. Don't say this kind of stupid thing. Know that this is what happens on first day. Know that this is how a CPR gets run. I think it's such a fine line between micromanaging and knowing where the lines are that we're supposed to at least be semi on we might go over one way or another but at least know where the lines are i think we would function better as a fire service because at least when i'm jumping way over that line at least i know there's a line there yeah is that the problem that we think well unless we're allowed to act like children this job isn't fun 
if we're expected to act like adults and the job's not fun. That's language and perspective, I think. That's not even, those aren't even the same thing. Like it's, you're an adult and you're out in the world and you don't know how to have fun as an adult and still be respectful of people. You don't, you don't grasp that. Again, there's a, are these cliche sort of cultural things that are in our mind that we just, stories we tell ourselves to, as excuses to just be the way we want to be. Is it about ego? You brought the E word into the conversation. I think a big part of it as well, we've talked about generational and cultural, but we're going to get a little bit broader right here and now. Let's let's talk about generational cultural outside of the firehouse. I think some of the problems we're seeing inside of the firehouse are because of the culture around us. Nothing is sane anymore, right? be it the left wing or the right wing, they're both becoming extremist wings with ideas and concepts. And we have now made completely acceptable the concept of arguing versus conversing. So everybody gets to state allowed blatant opinion and we get to state allowed blatant opinion back. And we've lost the art as a society of just being functional and normal and polite and kind. And so how much does that bleed into the firehouse as well it's probably part of the some of the problems we're seeing in terms of people not being able to have the art of a conversation is we've lost i mean our neighbors can't even have a conversation and they're not even in the firehouse so why should we be expected to and that's something we need to bring into the firehouse as well as Listen, the squabbles of the world have no place inside a firehouse because our neighbors fighting over their fence, over 90-year-old politicians that are going to die tomorrow anyway with having accomplished nothing, um, those neighbors don't have to go into a burning building together or they don't have to do CPR on a 21-month-old together. So they can squabble all they want and they can hate each other, but I don't get to communicate with you that way because I have a job that I have to do with you. And be it a child adult. I guess we have to recognize overall that you don't flip a switch from outside culture to firehouse culture. Like you can't just flip your whole brain and how you think and how you behave and how you act and just switch hard stop one culture to the other. There is some intermingling between the firehouse is a representation. Any job is a representation of the culture at large. But there will be unique things about that industry, whatever that is, there's, I'm sure there's a culture amongst arborists and there's a culture amongst pilots, but they are all still representations of the same people that are in the culture when they get in their cars and they leave. So is that where it gets messy, right? A, we would expect when you're in here, hard stop, new culture, and then you leave and you're switching back to that culture and those norms and values. Or do we need to recognize that we're dealing with, and it's gray, we're dealing with an intermixing, right? It's not an oil and water thing. Well, we're going to bleed into mental health a little with with that concept because we're always told, leave it at the door. Well, the attitude you have with your neighbors, you don't leave that in, at the door. You bring that in and that's how you, you treat your shift mates, just like you just said. And it's the same thing with going out the door. We're not leaving the firehouse. It just doesn't magically wash off with us between the door and the car. Both worlds cross each other. Both worlds stay with us. It's just who we are as a human, being a firefighter. And those calls are part of who I am 
on Monday at the firehouse and Tuesday when I get off duty. I don't just morph into a whole different human being. We're not Batman with a bat signal. That's stop that. Stop saying it stays at the firehouse or the problems of my family life that stays at the door is the common phrase stays at the door. It does not be it who you are being rude to others and then thinking you'll come in and be kind to your shift or assuming I'm going to go home and have a cup of coffee and that call is not going to bother me. That call is going to be waiting in my locker when I get back to work tomorrow, but it doesn't come home with me. That's not a thing. I've framed it before as a lot of people say, when I leave work, I leave work at work, but you never hear anybody say, I leave home at home. So we don't have this realization, like you're saying, that you're just a human having a fluid experience. Your brain doesn't change when you walk into a different space. There may be different expectations, some some different norms and values because you're we're at a funeral or we're at a wedding or we're in the Walmart or we're <laughs> at the firehouse. There are norms and values depending on what space you're in. That's obvious. But people don't leave home at home, right? How can you? With the mental health thing, how are you? You can say you leave work at work, but you don't. You don't have this light switch that you flip. So you have to understand how work actually does affect you when you're home and how your home affects you when you're at work and just see yourself as a human having a fluid experience. I wrote an article a couple months ago and I was very, very surprised by the feedback and it was about coming off duty and the realization of how often I, I don't come off duty and how many moments in life I've ruined because my brain was still on duty and I was still wound up and I was still in that space. I don't know if I feel good or bad about how many people reached out to me to say, oh, you know what, now that I read this, I realize that this is something I do. I, I come home and I'm still in that mode. And I've said this a million times, we all have been walking through a Costco and we hear a, a CAD beep or we hear a radio cue up. We hear that sound because for 24 hours or 48 or however many work, you were in a state of hyper alertness. Even when you sleep at the firehouse, it's never a deep sleep because your body is your body doesn't want, want to fall deeply asleep because then it'll feel super sick when you get woken by those loud tones. You're never in a fully relaxed state, even when you think you are at the firehouse. So when you come off duty, if you don't have some sort of specific differentiating line, some sort of routine that you can do every day that tells your brain, I am coming off duty. This is me at home. This is me I'm not about to run any calls. I'm probably not about to save any lives. I can relax and rebuild my health in the next 24 hours, just like some sort of little video game character. I get to run around and eat and sleep and work out and become healthy again and go destroy it all at the firehouse the next day. We have to teach people to do that. And we're not, we're not teaching people. You're not going to leave it at the door, but Find a way to turn elements of it off. Find ways to shut parts of it down because otherwise they're going to stay on and you're never going to fully come off duty and you're just going to be exhausted. On the flip side, is it important then to have a regular practice for turning it on when you come on duty? A lot of focus is put on when you come off duty, you need to decompress. Like, I agree with this. You need to decompress. You need to transition Again, you're having a fluid experience, so you have experienced some things. Your brain is where it's at. You do need to realize that 
your day is changing, your, your experiences, the people around you are going to be changing and you can't necessarily leave it all behind. So you need to be aware of that. But what about the flip side? What about leaving your home life and coming on duty? Should people be having a practice to transition, to be able to switch themselves on, to be honest about the expectations and how they're supposed to perform? Almost the idea of, unless you could run the most difficult call of your career, should you be coming into work? I think it's common for us to have this idea that, well, I'll just go into work. I'm not at my best, but I'll go in and the shift will be fine. But if we want to talk honestly, like that shift, that shift could be the shift, right? You've had 300 of them where nothing has happened. You've been fine. And you're thinking the 301st is going to be the same, but that was the one where it's not. How much of us as adults and professionals should we be realizing, could I do that today if today is the day? So that's a hot button topic because staffing right now is probably just as abysmal up where you are as it is down for us. I've had a lot of days recently where all the fall sickness is starting to hit us where I work and it's okay. Am I so sick that I can't do the job or am I just sick enough that I don't feel good? And I think a lot of people are having that conversation of, all right, I feel horrible today. I'm not concentrating and whatever, but I can still do the job. Can you? Can you really do the job? I think we're having so many managers crack down in certain areas on people with sick leave usage and other things that some people feel afraid to. Some people are coming to work with COVID or strep throat or whatever and then taking out staffing because they just infected five other people versus staying home because they're actually afraid of the repercussion. And I I think that is something we all gamble with. And 99% of the time, it turns out okay. But we are a game of 1% anyway, aren't we? That's why we exist. I think we've all come in not at 100%. And so no point in me asking. I just want to ask these questions because I reflect on myself. and, And then I try to have this honest reflection on the job and what's expected. And just because I've had, again however many days where nothing's nothing's really been that challenging. I just don't think we can have this assumption that the next day is going to be just like that. And we've seen enough documentaries and read enough NIOSH reports and how much of, and maybe that's not even necessarily always captured when we hear about these bad calls where we lose people, how much of it was they physically or mentally weren't at their best on that day to be able to do their job. We don't know. I'm just wondering if like, I could get caught in the similar situation if I'm coming in and I'm not at my best. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is it unfair or unrealistic to expect that every, because it's seven, eight times a month or however your shift runs, is it completely unfair to expect everybody to come in at their best every time? And that's just a reality. And it is what it is and we can't change it. That is reality. We work 10 days a month and I guarantee that not everybody those 10 days a month is going to come in ready, mentally ready. And so that is the onus is on you to sit down and say, okay, I know that something is off today. I know I'm not 100% and then categorize it. Why am I not 100%? Is it what's going on at home, mental health? Okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write out essentially a game plan for today. What is, what's weighing on my mind? Am I going through a divorce, a sick parent, whatever? 
And I'm going to make myself a little mini checklist of, all right, what can I do today to relieve those thoughts and to put them on the back burner so that I can do my job today? Am I sick as heck? All right. Have I dosed up on over-the-counter stuff that can make me as functional as possible? If we're going to come into work, if you're going to make that decision, then the responsibility is on you to find a game plan to become 99 to 100% or as close close to it as you can get. I will say this. I would much rather you stay at home and not give me the mange, or I would much rather if you are going through something, stay at home and take care of your brain. I will not be upset if you do not show up, if there's a chance that you are going to get me injured or make my job so much harder on a call because you know you can't be there today. So it's between one of those two. If you're going to come in, okay, come in, but have a plan to get to 100%. We do need to talk more about if you're going to do that, okay, but that's an adult decision and you're going to figure out how to be an adult about it. You're going to figure out how to not let me down and how to perform. And that's a conversation. You got to grab a cup of coffee, sit on the front bumper and figure your life out for that day. Or are we also going to just play devil's advocate on everything. Are we also going to maybe, that's what I love to do. Are we going to put ourselves in a state of too much heightened anxiety because we're so worried that today might be the day? Like, is it, is that, again, that's unrealistic to expect in your brain every single moment of every single hour that you're on shift that, oh my God, is, is that, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Like if you're, especially if you're already an overthinker and an anxious person, I mean, that's not going to be very helpful for you. So I guess you can't come in thinking it's that this is the this is the paradox, right? You can't live in a constant state of heightened anxiety. I mean, we could argue that then training and competency and confidence that that should mitigate that. I don't think any of us come into work going, this is going to be the day that I'm going to run the ultimate shit show of my career. And if you are the kind of person who comes in thinking that, then, then there might be some undiagnosed anxiety issues going on there, and, and that that's a different road. I could not see coming into work every day like that. That would be torturous. Well, I guess I'm just trying to pull at this. What this is, it's a that people are messy, right? We're messy. It's, and we're we're messy and complicated, and there's so many different factors to this. And just trying to put the language and call out the messiness of the things. And I guess my hope is by if we do that, then maybe we have a better perspective on ourselves and each other and maybe that will help solve a number of the issues that we're facing but unless we acknowledge the messiness then how can we talk in real terms so you just nailed it when you said we're all we're all messy we're all messy and chaotic and i'm going to go through different phases of life and be in a different phase of life than somebody else but we're all going to go through it we are all going to go through something at some point in our career loss of a spouse, loss of a parent, financial difficulties, mental health, medical health, all these things. At some point, somebody on your shift is going to be dealing with something. And the key word, two keywords, messiness and grace. And it's, I at some point will be going through this. How do I want those around me to address me, guide me, help me? Well, I don't know what's going on in this person across from me's life. A, I should try to know my people to find that out. But B, if I'm not going to do that, then I should plan on addressing absolutely everybody 
like their life is potentially messy and address them with kindness. Didn't say kid gloves. Did not say kid gloves. Didn't say pander to people with kindness. And there's there's a big difference. And everything that we've covered throughout this entire conversation, you've wrapped up beautifully with that word messy. I mean, that is what all of us are. So when you walk into the firehouse, plan on everybody's life being a stage of mess that you don't know about and address them as such. Looking back on your career up till now, have you found that regardless of the messiness that's been going on in your life, so there are going to be days where it's so, and I've had these even recently, where it's so messy that you realize you can't be at work. That's self-awareness, right? I, I, there's, there's, My brain is so full right now, it's so overwhelming that functioning at work wouldn't be, if I'm, if I'm called upon, would not be possible, so it's not good to go in. That's completely fair. But have you found that despite the messiness that's going on with you through different phases, that there has been times where the job is the simple thing that you know the structure of, the foundations of, the expectations of, where it's actually helped you? Where it's been good to be in as the job given you more of those days and it's hurt you and taken them away absolutely because there are two things that are always going to be essential about human beings is even if we are rule breakers we need rules we thrive on guidelines and knowing where the line is even if we're going to break it we do best knowing where that little box is even if you think outside of it and the other thing is, is being useful. Human beings were designed to be useful. We were designed to have a task and we were designed to help. And we feel better when we're helping. So some days you will find your life could be falling apart, but going to the firehouse, knowing how things work, even though the calls are unpredictable, there's still always a certain pattern they're all going to follow, certain rules they're all going to follow. And I'm helping another human being. Even if it's just granny calling with the most ridiculous problem, you're still problem solving it for her. And in those moments, you're not thinking of the messiness of your own own life. And I think the firehouse can be such a, you're going to laugh at this, I'm laughing as I say it, but such a magical and a healing place when you're going through some things in your life because of those concepts, because as corny as it sounds, I am helping somebody. I know to a certain level the rules that apply to this little world that I'm in for the day. And then, I mean, your crew, if you have a close-knit crew, they know. They can sense. They can tell what's going on. And they're they're going to do what it takes to bolster you for the day, whether it be sit silently with you and listen or laugh or just be absolute nitwits for the day to make you forget what's going on. So is it the differentiation then of deciding whether to be in or not as I'm going through a lot, it's messy, but I'm functioning and I need a distraction for a few moments for 24 hours. It's going to be nice to be into something that I understand the messiness of the firehouse and the job, and it's not going to exacerbate what's already going on with me. And I'm not going to be a hindrance to myself or risk to myself or anybody else versus I'm at my absolute limit. And if one more thing happens, it's going to be the tipping point. You shouldn't be risking going in and then hoping that it's just going to be a cruisy day with all these nice things that are going to support you and help you. And if you have a 
bad call, then that might be the tipping point or you not performing on that call might actually make things worse for you. So I understand that's a bit of a gray area, but is that the, is that the differentiation about when to come in and when not? When the firehouse and the job would be healing and when it would actually be a ri- you're rolling the dice. I went through a divorce and I had two very young kids at the time. So it was it was really very emotionally difficult for me as a mom. The metrics standard that I used wasn't actually the worst call or the biggest fire where everything went wrong. It was, and this is going to sound horrible, but if I had just the most high maintenance patient, whether it just be a super whiny entitled patient or somebody with a very high level mental health crisis that I had to talk down. That was kind of my metric was if I'm put with somebody who's very high maintenance and horrible or somebody who is in desperate chaotic need of a good hour of my time and energy, could I perform? Would I snap at that person who I feel is being entitled or would I not be as wise and caring as I need to be with that person having the ultimate breakdown of their life. That was my standard was, do I have the time and tolerance within me or am I just too much in my own space and my own problem to have that to give to somebody else for the day? And if the answer was no, I stayed in because if I don't have that kind of energy to do those things, then I'm not going to have the energy to focus because it's not even a matter of physically performing. Most of us can physically pull it out. But if I can't focus on those two, then I'm not going to be able to focus. My mind's going to be too chaotic for that great event. Yeah, so is the question then that we should always be asking ourselves, do I have the capacity? With the messiness off-duty, right, you talked about sick or aging parents or if you're a parent yourself, a lot of people in their lives get used to functioning when they don't have the capacity because <laughs> you don't have a choice. But is it even just better to even just recognize that even if you, if the answer is I don't have the capacity? At least we'd have the, maybe perhaps we would have the choice, I hope we'd always have the choice to say, I don't with work and not be there. However, you've touched on the fact that sometimes you just have to be there whether you have the capacity or not. But is the question to yourself then, do I have the capacity? Is that a good question to ask yourself daily on and off duty? What's my capacity right now? If I'm asking myself that daily, then I need to be doing something about it. If I ask myself on Monday, do I have the capacity? And then I find myself asking that again, the next shift. What am I doing as a responsible firefighter to say, okay, this is now the second time in a week I've asked this question. I need to be doing something about it. It's one thing if it happens every now and then, but if it becomes a pattern, I have a responsibility to myself and those around me to mitigate that pattern, be it okay. I need to actively seek time off or I need to go talk to somebody, be it the bestie over a beer or maybe a peer coordinator or even a psychiatrist. But if I'm asking myself that more than once in a week, the answer is no. If I'm asking it twice in a row, the answer is no. And that is where it it falls upon us if my ankle is sore on Monday and I can't go for a run and my ankle is still sore a couple of days later, well, then maybe I should go figure out if I freaking sprained the thing or broke something or whatever. Why would I not do the same with my brain? So looking back over the breadth of your career, 
and I'm sure this has changed over different phases of your life, but what has given you the capacity? I would say those who have stepped up. Some people turn to health and sports and and hobbies outside. I've always had those things before going into the fire service. So the thing that was new and that really helped and gave me energy was having bad things happen in my career and having coworkers step up and watching them challenge those who weren't doing the right thing. And somebody recently said, with everything you've you've been through in your career, what would you do differently? And I said, absolutely nothing. Because I got to see some really amazing, cool people display so much character and define what it means to be a firefighter by stepping up in unpopular situations that could harm their career and doing the right thing. And I think that has always given me, there's a saying out there, forever in the red, which means we live forever in the debt of those who have gone before us and the things they have done for us. And so I think that's always given me the capacity and the drive to keep going forward and doing the right thing because somebody did that for me. And that's a beautiful way to put it. I love it. I have smart thoughts every now and then. (laughs) Before we wrap up, how's it been doing the podcast? Give me some just real talk and reflection on how that experience has been. So the social media side of it has been funny because everybody thinks I'm a boy, which uh, has been really interesting when any ever anyone messages me. Is it because the audio in the reels is the male voice like you talked early on about? That's what I'm thinking of. I think people maybe catch one reel and so they think maybe the girl is the guest because I did get one message saying, hey, man, for a girl, your guest wasn't bad. <laughs> but as the host, I work for a large department, but it's still after having been there for 18 years, you you get to meet a lot of people and know a lot of people and kind of the, the personalities and players. So it's been really exciting and beautiful to step way outside of there and to meet people that even doing union stuff I wouldn't have met because obviously you're a, you're a host you you approach people you see a story or you hear something and you approach people and getting to see so many different stories in life has been really really humbling and cool and just a reminder of how many people are pushing and driving for change I think one thing society overall has uh, has really sucked at and stumbled with is we've all become doomsday prophets. The world is falling apart in every different capacity and facet, be it right wing or left wing. They're all saying the sky is falling chicken little and everything is really so negative lately. And so just to see so many people working towards the problems in the fire service has been really, really great and just humbling, for lack of a better word, to know that, no, the sky isn't falling. And even if it is, you've got all these these kick-ass people just raring to go fix it. Fair to say, has it reinvigorated your love of the career or giving you a brand new perspective on it? It has made me ashamed of some of the bad habits that I've slipped into. I mean, we all slip into them. 
me probably more than others. And it's, it's made me go back and say, okay, I've started doing this. Let's clean this up. Let's tighten this up. Let's change how we talk to the new guys. And just, it has made me be better and do better. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? I think we, I think we covered a lot. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. No, thanks for having me, Scott.